new beginning. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram, and as always, alongside with Dr. Joshua Black, happy to be here podcasting. Uh, and we have a special episode today that we're bringing to you guys. It is our 2020 recap episodes, which will be in a two-parter. And I know, you know, you guys love hearing these, these special ones. We take, essentially, we take uh, clips from our episodes throughout 2020. Usually a lot of them are some of the dreams that people have had or would like to have. And, uh, you know, some other ones sprinkled in. Some other favorite, uh, say, uh, sections of the episodes. And yeah, it's exciting to be here. And again, thanks for coming along with us on this wonderful journey. I hope 2020 has been good for you. I know it's been a hard year for all of us. And just want to say thank you so much again for listening to us and allowing us into your homes and into your ears and into your hearts hopefully <laughs> but yeah uh dr black how has 2020 been for us in uh, the grief dreams podcast world well it was uh I said it was an interesting year and it was nice that we were able to talk about some of the difficulties people are going through in the sense of with the covid and the pan- pandemic but we had 37 interviews this year which is phenomenal because we're both, you know, so busy and we're able to do this just with our spare time. And I'm really happy with, you know, all the guests that come on. I've always learned something new and even listening to these episodes again, it brings me back. And I'm like, all oh, right, I remember how good that episode was. I remember what I learned from there. And so I hope these episodes for those who have been listening and been following us, just refresh some of those conversations to give us insight and to give us some more understanding of these dreams. But if you're new to the podcast, I, I hope like you can learn or be able to look back on maybe an episode that maybe you connected with that we sort of talk about. You go back and you listen to the whole episode. And I think that's one of the reasons why I also like this, where you don't have to just like gander, because we have a, what, over 180 some episodes you don't have to go through all of them. You can listen to this and see who you connect with and then go back and listen to that person. Yeah, uh, 100%. Absolutely. And also, uh, you know, Dr. Black's done a great job of, you know, sorting our episodes on the website, griefdreams.ca. So you can see them based off of different types of losses. And it's really cool to look through it and say, you know, as uh, uh, parents have lost children or, you know, pet loss and all the different uh, types of people that we've been able to talk to. And again, once again, thank you so much to those who have given to the podcast. Uh, Like Dr. Black said, you know, we, uh, we have full-time jobs (laughs) and, but we're doing this because we love doing it and we love having these conversations and it brings us so much joy and your contributions do help us. uh, So we really appreciate that. All right. So let's, uh, let's begin. I said, it's going to be a two-parter. And so for uh, this episode, uh, we talked to, it's episode 146, and we talked to Kay McAval, and she's a recording artist from the Bronx who raps and sings. And in this clip, she talks about her grief and the grief of her family and what she sort of went through after the death of her brother, and also dreams before his death. And then um, if you go back to the episode, you can sort of hear about dreams after uh, he died. But I really enjoyed this episode for many reasons. So there's a lot of hidden gems in there. So I re-listened to this. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. There's so much wisdom. She's, you know, she's pretty young and she has so much insight into this world. So uh, if you uh, like this episode, go check it out again. Yeah, it 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 is really it is really crazy. Like 
even today I was going through my high school um, yearbook and it just like it brought a little tear to my eye because I'm like wow like I really came a long way and I think that one thing that just it just helped me was just writing like that's why I, I have a tattoo of, of a pen on my arm because like I, even even right now like um, I found a little poetry book that I had around the time that I lost my brother and I was I was I was speaking those things I was saying like you know I feel that change I feel myself becoming this ugly person and I don't want to be that and it was just that always like that conflict between myself like you know like I could I could you know I could live I could live life like you know like there's no tomorrow and you know get I might die tomorrow and just go on a whim but I don't know it did it didn't satisfy me but I think I think yeah I think I did have I did have a lot of support one thing that I think God is for the kind of um, mother that I have she she was never um, close-minded or she's not very like old school type of you know she's like quote unquote Americanized um and we always had an open relationship and um after that happened you know it got nasty in my house everybody we was all playing the blame game it was just it got really nasty but I think that that space to have those type of communication it it unified us three more and it just made us like you know push for each other and and we came to a point where it's just like we cannot blame each other because we all we have you know and just I don't know it, it forced me to really be adult really early and I mean I mean only if you could imagine like a mother losing her first son and he was so young he was 19 my mother like checked out completely like it was almost like me and my other brother didn't have a parent and like mm-hmm. she was just it was just bad it was just bad she got into her alcoholism and it was bad and I had to tell her like yo you still have two other kids like you need to like get a grip you know and like a lot of people wouldn't dare tell their mother something like that but that that for her it triggered something and it woke her up you know and even though mm-hmm. she, she still went, went through her stuff after that but it it kind of like it brought us together it was more like a, I support you at the end of the day like we going through this together nobody knows what it feels like to lose that person you know because I mean granted you know another person could lose a brother and, and but you but that person like his name was Louis Louis Gonzalez nobody's gonna know what that feels like to lose him but my mom and my brother like nobody's gonna share that pain with me like that deep and it just made me really appreciate the people that I had yeah yeah wow it brought a tear to my eye in the sense of just the struggle and you can never explain the struggle as much as you you know you can say as many words as you want never fully explain what you went through but I'm glad mm-hmm. you had some tools to communicate your feelings and as you said like grief's a, uh, a wild thing and when we don't know how to communicate our feelings it can you know we rub people the wrong way and we have arguments and we right or it. even you internalize it you internalize those those things that you don't say out loud and then now you're you're self-sabotaging yourself you're becoming detrimental to yourself and um and oh another thing that i wanted to share um and which i was so like interested with this grief dreams podcast was because the crazy part about losing my brother was about i say like i want to say like two years prior to that happening i had this reoccurring dream and like people 
I, I don't like to speak on it too much because, you know, people be thinking that you're crazy and shit. <laughs> but, like, I really... <laughs> no, I really pay attention to my dreams. Like, I really pay attention. Like, the... It'll just... The metaphors, the... Me, like, the... It just... It would just really... My dream just tells me a lot of stuff. And two years prior to me losing my brother, I kept having this reoccurring dream with me in the yard of my middle school crying. And I didn't know why I was crying. Like, I was just crying. I didn't know why I was crying. And... In the dream, his his girlfriend, his well, his ex girlfriend, um, would come to me, and it would always be her in this reoccurring dream, and she's like, "Yo, I'm so sorry for your loss." And at that moment, I just knew that she was talking about my brother, and that would just be the reoccurring dream that I would have. Like I remember having those dreams, and then going and laying with him in his bed, like scared, like you know, like oh shit, like I just mm-hmm. had, like you know, and just I kept having it, and like being Did you ever older now, that? no. So you always kept no, I never, I never, yeah, I never, I didn't want to, I didn't want to speak, I didn't want to speak it out loud because I just didn't want to, of course, like, I didn't even want to, like, jinx it, I didn't want to say, I didn't even want to think about it, I just, you mm-hmm. know, and, and mm-hmm. come to think about it, like, you know, even now, that's kind of like, whatever universe, whatever power, that's almost like somebody preparing me for what was going to come. Thank you, Kay, for coming on the podcast and sharing with everyone. Next, we have episode 147 with Dr. Christopher Kerr, and he's the CEO and Chief Medical Officer at Hospice Buffalo, and he runs a research center there that investigates one of the things is end-of-life dreams and visions. And so on this, on this clip, I asked him about end-of-life dreams and visions that horses may have. Check it out. But I know you, uh, you own horses, right? <laughs> you have mm-hmm. a horse farm? You, yeah, you own them. Yeah. Okay. So have you ever thought in your spare time <laughs> when you're not writing books <laughs> being filmed, if horses also have these end of life dreams and visions while they're dying? Oh my God. <laughs> I have no idea. I've seen animal grieve. I've seen animals grieve horses, particularly in some pretty unusual ways. Um, so yeah, I don't know what to do. I, it's, it's a good question. I don't know how you'd access it, but I, I certainly, I think it's interesting. There's general uh, more and more awareness though, and you're seeing the literature with elephants and everything that mm-hmm. um, there is animals have mourning. Yeah, and they dream. So it's like, they're doing both. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you'd wonder, you'd think if it's the same across different species. Yeah, I had a horse one time that was raised by a pony. He was a hot horse from a racetrack, and uh, and the ponies brought older ponies brought into his life because they often help they can help sue the horse out, and um, so they lived 15 years together, and the pony dies, and the horse probably lost 75, 100 pounds uh, after the loss. Ah, hmm. so. there's yeah. no no doubt they they there's that level which is really just isn't shocking I don't think, but. It is to some people. No, but Mm. you need the experience to see it, right? And I think you being familiar with it, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But for most people, they just don't have the opportunity to see that within the animals. No. And old people, old horse people would tell you, it's one of the problems with how horses are handled now. Uh, People will, um, I was talking to a lady from Europe who was actually on the German Olympic team at one point. And she said, you know, the difference now is that people trade horses and buy horses and flip horses and so in the day we used to just have your horse and she's convinced that all the moving from barn to p- and people is 
is creating a, a, a destabilizing, traumatic kind of event for the animal, whereas before they really maintained bonds. Wow, well, it's very similar to human. Thank you, Christopher, for coming on the podcast too and, and sharing uh, with us. So next episode is 148 with Dr. Sarah Neustadter, and she's a licensed psychologist. And what's interesting about this clip is that she shares dreams about the death of her boyfriend and how she honored those dreams that she had. So this dream was more of like a snippet kind of a dream. So I was in this like old-fashioned movie theater, like up in the balcony watching a film. And I like bent down and was looking at the floor and I saw, I caught a picture of my, the image of my hand and then, you know, my former boyfriend's hand. And I just saw our hands and we both had these matching diamond bands on. And um, the diamond bands, they were like a band of diamonds that went all around. And I saw his hand and then I saw my hand and I woke up and I was like, wow, I don't, you know, I think I need to go get that ring. Like he's wearing that ring on the other side and I want to have a ring like that. And I didn't even know, I'm not really a person that's into diamonds or anything. So I didn't, so I had to look up like what that diamond ring was. So it's a band of rings and it's called an eternity band. And so the image, like the, just the name eternity felt, um, potent to me it felt like we were sort of bonded in this very um, romantic way and so I started this quest to find this eternity band like the one from the dream and so I looked at different jewelry shops and I went to different flea markets and um, one day I was walking in our town in Mountain View and um, I saw a sale sign at this jewelry store that I hadn't gone into. And so I walked in and I asked them if they had any eternity bands. And they showed me a couple, but they didn't have anything in my size. I wanted it on the sort of the middle finger. But they said they had one in the back. And so um, when they went to get it, they brought it, they brought it to me, and it was definitely the one from the dream. So I started telling them why I was looking for it. It was, you know, Valentine's Day was approaching and I said I wanted to buy this as a gift to myself um, because my boyfriend had died. And the woman who was showing me the rings started telling me how her husband had died a few years ago. And um, so she came out and she gave me a hug and then she told me that the owner of the jewelry shop's husband had died, you know, like 10 years ago. And so she was in the back and she brought her out and, and that woman gave me a hug. And so we all were bonding in this shared, you know, pretty horrible, rare experience of having lost partners. And it was very hopeful because they had also found new partners. And so it was just like this beautiful kind of synchronicity that happened as a result of this dream. Um, and so I bought the ring and, um, I mean, it was just like a very special moment to share with these women in the jewelry store. Wow. So you actually like told them you're buying it because of a dream? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that it was a, a gift to myself, you know, because of my ex's death. 
Wow. And I saw this ring in a dream and they were like, wow, this ring was must have been for you because we've had it in the back and um, it's totally the one that looked like the dream and it fit the finger, my finger perfectly. I think that's remarkable how you opened up about your dream. I commend you for that. And it opened up this beautiful conversation, right, with the other ladies there and for you to hear about something that it seemed that you needed to hear about, about the hopefulness of being able to find someone, another partner moving forward in life, which can be very scary. I have never lost a partner, but I can understand that, especially if someone died the way your your boyfriend did. And so are you, have you met someone new this day? You know, I can't say that I have, Mm. unfortunately. I've um, I've dated and I've been in relationships, but they, um, you know, I am not currently in one. Is it hard the first time you went on a date and to wear the ring? Well, yes, it was hard to go the first time I went on a date. It took me about three and a half years till I was able to do that. But I didn't, I don't think I wore the ring on the date. And so I don't wear it on my ring finger, I wear it on the middle finger. And um, nobody, you know, I don't wear it all the time, but nobody has asked me what it was about. So I never had to explain it. But yes, dating was definitely hard afterwards. That's so interesting. No one, no one's mentioned it or asked. And you're right. Like, I think a tattoo people ask, you know, because it's like it's right there. But jewelry, yeah, it's not something that I think is commonly a necklace, maybe. Wow, that is interesting. Do you want people to ask about it? I do have a tattoo that I got in uh, memory of him. Um, And so when people see the tattoo, I I like people to ask me why or what it's about. Um, It's not totally visible all the time. But um, yeah, it, it it would mean a lot if somebody asked me what it was about or why I got it. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the podcast and sharing with us. It takes a lot of courage to do that, and I really appreciate it. Next, we have from episode 149, Janet Lopez, and she has a lot of experience in the grief world and is an author as well. And again, we like to ask our favorite question of uh, what dream would you like to have of somebody who's passed? And here's her answer. So I'm curious if you could have one dream tonight of your someone who's died it could be your grandmother or it could be you know someone else a celebrity uh who would you want to dream of and what would that look like well i probably want to dream uh i mean i had two answers like right away because i'm a celebrity and i i mean at first i thought about my dad but then i thought about john lennon Mm. (laughs) um i think because john lennon was such an expressive artist and uh had so much wisdom in such a small space of words and images that to me that's like the quintessential form when there's a lyric that says so much behind it without having to say more than what it is i love that aspect of like expressing whether it's through writing or photography that there's one thing that can mean so much and i think lennon is is that guy that's pretty cool. And so how would you how would you want it to all like play out? Would you want them to sing or Oh, that would be awesome. Okay. But I think serenade you? Be... It's just serenade you. 
<laughs> it would be nice to sit next to him at the piano and just not have to say anything and just have him be who he is and do what he does like with his magical knowing and his magical expression and his magical way to connect at such a deep level that's cool i like that and music touches us in, in different ways and so to be able to just embrace that that'd be a really cool dream i really hope you have that and i want to sort you. of i want to say too you're not the only one who's had or well um paul mccartney actually had a dream of john lennon and it's actually i posted it on the grief dreams website under dreams and pop culture he went on the late show and talked about these dreams he has of him so yeah if you're into john lennon you probably like to hear those dreams that paul mccartney had. i will go look at that yes no, yeah, that that's that's a beautiful dream. I, I like it a lot, and I like what you said about music. And you're absolutely right. There's sometimes a, a chorus or a line that just touches you and hits you, and you could be driving or doing something, and you'll stop, and it'll take you back uh, to a place or an emotion. And uh, that, that's the that's the beauty of music. It is a soundtrack to our lives. Thank you, Jana, for sharing your story. And here on episode 150, we have Andrea Wilson-Woods, who is an author. And what's interesting about this episode, she really talks about her life and her loss with her sister and caring for her sister, that she actually became her legal guardian. So it's also her daughter. And so it's very fascinating to hear that story. And so this is a clip of her answering what dream she wants to have, if she could, of her sister. The very first thing that popped into my mind is um, music. So Adrian and I had very different musical taste, and I didn't really appreciate her taste in music until after she died, and I started listening to all of it. And I still don't, I'm sorry, Adrian, I still don't love Jane's Addiction the way she did, <laughs> or really any of those bands from the 90s. Um, that she loves so much, but um, I really did fall in love with Queen after she died, and Queen was one of her all-time favorite bands. So if I could have a dream tonight, it would be that she and I are at a Queen concert with Freddie Mercury um, singing, I mean, because who else should sing? And that would be amazing. Like, that would be a really, if I could program my brain to have that dream, um, that would be so much fun to have. Did you want her in that blue dress again? No, like I, I envision her actually, I envision her the way she was before cancer and um, she, I wouldn't let her dye her hair until she turned 14 and then she dyed it like every color under the sun. And so, <laughs> you know, it was red, it was blue, it was purple. And so I kind of picture her with that hair, but she always kept her hair like in a very specific haircut. She had very thick hair. And so it was always kind of a blunt cut with these blunt bangs. And um, I just, yeah, I kind of picture her in her, you know, dark clothes and, there's going to be some blue somewhere because she loved blue so much. And uh, yeah, she, she was taller than I am and, you know, kind of picture that. So, yeah, I think that sounds fun. incredible. That sounds like a party. And, I know. Uh, Doesn't that sound like a party? Yeah, to, to be able to. And I would imagine I'm not a parent, but I would imagine parents always would probably strive to be not only a parent, but also a friend. And you obviously were able to kind of play those roles. So, you know, I could just see you guys having fun at a concert with, uh, man, all the, all the amazing Queen songs. <laughs> we don't get to be a friend, really. Um, well, some parents do, but 
for me, I, you know, you really don't get to be that friend until they grow up. Mm. And so we, we were sort of beginning that, those stages, yeah. you know, we were getting there, but we weren't quite there yet. And I was really looking forward to it. Thank you, Andrea, for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we've had two uh, celebrity dreams or, pe- or dreams people want to have of celebrities. And next we have uh, a grief dream of an actual celebrity, Ram Das. And we have Becky Odd Jenison sharing that dream. And she appears on episode 151. Check it out. I think it's a good time to mention, too, that you're a fan of Ram Das. Mm. And I remember... I think I found you. I don't know if I found you this way or not, but mm-hmm. after his death, I was looking at hashtags of, I think, Ram Dass, and I was grieving pretty, I was pretty emotional, probably for two or three days afterwards. And I, I was wondering, like, would I have a dream, you know, and never did. And then I wondering, I wonder if anyone else had a dream and you posted a dream, like the moment I, I thought to myself, I wonder if anyone else had a dream and like, and I saw your post. I thought that was really interesting. So I wonder if you could talk a little about how you found Ram Dass and then also your dream of him. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Ram Dass has just been in my awareness for many, many years. And I'm probably the way, the best way, I'm just very eclectic in, in any practice or any belief system. So I, whatever I'm pulled to that resonates in my heart, um, I, I kind of glom onto and, and his his work is just beautiful. And um, if you haven't gotten, for listeners, um, I've got it sitting here. If you haven't gotten his book, Walking Each Other Home, um, I highly recommend getting it. Anybody listening here is obviously it has an interest in death and dying. And I've given it as a gift to people that are going through something with a loved one. And But for myself, it's beautiful. It's beautiful art. It's beautiful comfort. But just everything, basically, that Ram Dass has ever put out has very much resonated in my heart. And I had his book, and I had some other readings of his. And recently, I mean, we don't have to be, it's not that I'm a psychic. We all know that Ram Dass was getting very elderly and post-stroke was um, seeming to be a bit frail. And so I and many other people, I think, had it in the back of our minds, like, how long, how long is this going to go? And, and for whatever reason, I, I found out very, very quickly at the time that he died. And, it, and like you, Josh, I was, I was very, very moved. And so I kind of set in practice after that time and, um, you know, was really sending love and kind of diving into some of his work. And that night I went to bed and I was actually listening to a meditation of his as I went to bed. And during the night I ended up waking up after I had a dream of it. There was just like white, 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 you know, I want to say divine light. I mean, just very beautiful ethereal brightness. And Ram was not in his wheelchair. He was actually, Ram Das was sitting on the floor in Lotus with his beads in his hand, both, both arms working fine mm-hmm. with just the most beautiful, radiant smile. And there was just a, uh, 
a knowing, like it was almost as if I was standing in front of him, but he was more at my level, but there was just this knowing that there's volumes of people behind me. I was right before him, but I felt as I woke up then, it was this feeling of how many people had this dream at exactly the same time. And it felt, it was just beautiful. Thank you, Becky, for sharing your dream of Ram Dass. I think that's amazing that people can have dreams of celebrities. Next, we have episode 152 with Molly Schultz, and she's a mother of six and a blogger. And the backstory with Molly is that she had a child after her father uh, died. And so this clip is basically about a dream she had of her son Bowie before and then also after the birth. So, so when I was pregnant, um, I went for my anatomy scan at about 20 weeks, which is where they figure out if it's a boy or girl and they, you know, they check his brain and, and all of that stuff. And, um, at the end, the woman was like, okay, do you want to know what you're having? And I was like, I don't want to know. And she was like, okay. And, but she knew, and it was kind of interesting because I was like, she is the only person on the planet right now that knows what this baby is. <laughs> and, um, but I went home that night and I was talking to Tim and I was like, should we find out? Like, I don't know if it's worth waiting anymore. And, um, he's like, we'll talk about it, you know, tomorrow, just sleep on it. And that night I had a dream and my dad came to me and we were kind of like in a white room and he appeared and he was walking towards me and I just kept focusing on his face because that's what I usually have done in the other dreams is, you know, study his face, make sure you don't forget what he looks like. And so I was just focusing completely on him and I wasn't noticing anything else. And then all of a sudden, as he got closer, I noticed that he was holding a baby and the baby was wrapped in a light blue blanket and I couldn't see the baby's face. I just saw the blanket and we looked at each other and he smiled at me, but we never spoke. We never said anything to each other. Uh, we just kept staring at each other and smiling and looking down at this baby wrapped in a blanket and looking back at each other and smiling more. And then I woke up and I kind of knew in that moment that it was going to be a boy. Wow, that's so wild. You ruined the surprise. <laughs> 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 oh, that's so crazy. I think it's so interesting, though. If it was a girl, it, it would have really ruined that dream. You know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> but because it's a boy, it makes it like that well, dream. Actually, more who, powerful. Knows? who knows? It might have made her come to terms with having a girl if, if it came in a dream like that. I think I think that's so crazy, having going through the pregnancy, thinking about it, having a conversation that night with your husband uh, about maybe wanting to know about the gender and then having the dream like that's too too much of a coincidence there that's crazy yeah it's way too much of a coincidence and um yeah i mean if, i think if it was a girl i kind of would have been just like okay i'm just meant to be you know a girl mom and one boy and and stuff but i don't know like i i felt like um, after I woke up, like my dad is sending a brother for Easton because that's all Easton has wanted is someone to share a room with because all of his sisters share a room with each other. And so for him, I was like, he's getting a brother. Like, this is crazy. But then, you know, the rest of the pregnancy, it's like, 
oh, it's probably a girl. Oh, maybe it's a boy. I mean, I just kept going back and forth anyway. So, yeah. Is that question, as Easton gets older, do you see your dad in him? I do. They, they both had, my father had a really goofy personality and Easton is very much like that. And so I see little quirks of my father in Easton a lot. Uh, the, the biggest difference between the two is my dad was very athletic and Easton is way more into like robotics and stuff like that. So that's a little different, but I mean, personality wise, they're very similar. That's so cool. Yeah. It is cool. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I've, I've heard of something. I think I have heard of dreams like this before, or sometimes they'll, the deceased will tell the person they're even pregnant before they know so i think it's kind of cool that you you as much as you want it to be a secret there was this moment where um you got a chance to know and i always find that fascinating because it makes me sit in the mystery of life and like what what's going on here and you'd think the body would maybe know you know in a way so i can see see that coming through but yeah it's uh did you um tell anyone about that because I know you're trying to keep it a secret, right? Everything a secret. Did you tell anyone that you had that dream or did you keep that more or less hidden? I told Tim because I woke up the next morning and I was like, I don't want to know anymore. And he kind of was like, what, what changed your mind? And I was like, oh, my dad just came to me in a dream and told me what it is. <laughs> um, and then I told my best friend too. Um, so she knew as well. Cause she believes in all of that kind of stuff too. And so she was like, Oh, it's for sure a boy. And, um, so, so yeah, Tim, I think Tim was still kind of like, what? Uh, it could still be a girl, you know? And, um, cause he, I mean, he has four girls. It's impossible for him to understand too, that it could be a boy. You <laughs> know, he has to see it. <laughs> He's just preparing yeah. for the, uh, likelihood of having another girl. And, uh, yeah, I can right. totally understand that. Yeah. But yeah, that definitely yeah. Uh, push him. Because I remember you're saying, like, I don't know, in the last podcast, you're talking about, like, I'm not sure, like, what he believes about the dreams and stuff. But I think, like, having that dream and sharing it can help people understand maybe a little more of the significance of these dreams or how powerful these dreams can be in someone's life. So I think that's kind of, I'm glad you shared it with him. Yeah, definitely. He he gets a kick out of um my beliefs and stuff but when i talk to him about my dad and dreams he's he's very much more like okay i understand i i can see that and stuff so i love it i love it and then you uh you mentioned you had another dream to us and what was the other dream so this was around christmas because my birthday is on christmas eve and so I always get signs from my dad, you know, around my birthday and stuff. And But this one was probably a couple days before my birthday. And in the dream, I was at my childhood home, which I haven't been to since, I don't know, I was 18 or 19. Um, and he was in my old room and he kind of peeked around the corner and I saw him. And he smiled at me and I ran up to him and I gave him a huge hug. And he was basically like soon it's going to be your fourth birthday without me and I was like that doesn't even seem possible dad and um, I just held him tighter and hugged him tighter because I really wanted to like savor that moment of actually hugging him and he um, kind of backed away and all of a sudden Bowie was in his arms Bowie was about seven months old at the time 
and it was just like him completely and he um they both kind of winked at me and he said you may or i'm closer than you realize and then he said happy birthday malls which is what he used to call me and then i woke up and i have some theories about what he the winking and stuff means but um it was it was cool because in that moment i in my mind i have a picture of them together i don't have proof of it i don't have a physical copy of it but i do have that picture which is something that i you know it was hard for me to understand and and get over so i'm really thankful for that and then i'm also thankful for you know being able to hug him because it had been maybe two years maybe two years plus since the last time i was like able to really hug him and so that was just really important and amazing and i woke up and i was like on cloud nine and i was like this is gonna be the best birthday ever you know and <laughs> so yeah wow i love it i got tears in my eyes just because like it's so powerful um, for for your birthday coming up and for him to wish you a happy birthday. Like like that imagery to me is just like, it's so amazing. You always have some great dreams. <laughs> but you're right. I think the, uh, the picture, because you're mentioning that, that's why you took the picture with his clothes. And for you to then have this moment, like what that can do for you. For sure. For sure. It, um, you know, he doesn't come to me very often, but when he does, he kind of hits it out of the park and I'm very <laughs> thankful for that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he, that picture, I, I can close my eyes and I can just see them both together and it's just awesome. Thank you, Molly, for coming on the podcast and sharing and she's a repeat guest. So if you want to hear more about her, you can just, she actually has, there's two episodes that you can go back to. Next, we have episode 153, Lisa Bonneville. And she's a PSW and has suffered multiple deaths in her life. And so this is a dream she wants to have. Nice. So if you could have a dream tonight of someone who's died, it could be all three of them around <laughs> the picnic table this time, a longer picnic table. <laughs> um, what kind of dream would you want to have? I would actually, I would love a repeat of the one with my grandma and my, and my friend Mark, but I'd love to remember what they said because... The two of them, they were they were always very insightful people. So I would love, to, especially the two of them together, probably would have blew my mind with the stuff that they had to say. But I would love to hear to have that dream again, especially like I love trees. So just the setting of it was was amazing, and I remember it was just a gorgeous day. And yeah, I would love to hear what they had to say because I mean, she had such a good sense of humor. And she was she was so wise, and she would get she had a very dry sense of humor. You didn't realize you got hit with, you know, some sarcasm until <laughs> a little bit later because she was so smart, smart witted. So, yeah, I would love to see the two of them together again. That would be fun, especially with the size difference. They were just comedy in itself, just looking at the two of them together. Like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Remember that movie, Twins? Exactly, exactly. It would have been so funny to see them together. That's cool. I think you're the first to actually want to repeat a dream because you forgot the details. Ah, of it. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that. I really and it yeah, shows yeah, the importance of writing it down. Oh, for sure. Because I Cause do you wonder I remember. I can say. picture. Yeah, I can picture the scene in my head. I remember the trees and the picnic. I can picture it in my head, but I can't for the life remember what what was said. And I do remember we had a conversation, but I don't remember at all 
what was said in the conversation. So I would love to have that dream again and mentally record that conversation or write it down because yeah, the two of them were, were very, I love talk. I could talk to the two of them for hours, hours and hours. So I would love to hear what they have to say. Yeah, where, when was that dream? So it'd be kind of interesting to know like on your journey, where, where do you remember mm-hmm. when you had that dream? Was it like after, after the divorce? Was it after the death doula thing? Like, do you remember when it came? Good question. It was, I think it was after or shortly, actually it could have been when we were separating and definitely before, way before the doula thing. So yeah, I think it was like, cause I was not sleeping. I mean, it was, it was all going through all that. It's just awful. You don't sleep much and stuff. So I do remember, I'm pretty sure that's when it was. It was when we were separating and it was just kind of chaos in my head. So, and I think I remember it, that's why I love that dream because it was around that time. The words of wisdom yeah. would probably, or conversations would have been something to do with that, you'd think, right? On yeah, probably knowing the two of them. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, they would have told me what to do for sure. <laughs> yeah, because it would have brought you a lot of peace, and that's what you're you're seeking that time and some answers also. Oh, very much so. Yeah, you, I look, I did everything I could to find any sort of answers because I mean, when you're going through that, it's such a hard thing. You just want some sort of direction and where to go and what to do and so yeah they they would have helped with that for sure thank you lisa for sharing your story with us really appreciate having a longtime listener on the podcast and uh, you know getting involved with us next we have with us dr sharon prentice and she is a psychotherapist and spiritual counselor and she talks about a dream a grief dream that she had of her daughter in the beginning, right after her death, I would have the usual, you know, just dreams. And dreams to me were always, I never really paid that much attention to them. And then I had one dream where I could see her, and I want to say it was a playground, okay? And I was actually swinging her. But in the next moment, I, uh, she was in like a stroller, and I was looking down at her face, and she was looking up at mine and reaching up and touching my cheek. That stayed with me forever, but I can't even begin to tell you what that did to me emotionally. It was, it was beyond heartbreaking because I could see her touching my face and I would wake up crying, just sobbing. All right, thank you, Sharon, for coming on the podcast. It was great uh, being able to share those moments with you. And next on the podcast is episode 155, Lisa Kefauver, and she is the founder and CEO of Reimagining Grief and hosts her own podcast on grief, too. So in this clip, she actually discusses a series of dreams that she had of her deceased husband, and it's very interesting to notice how they change over time. I'm trying to think of when they started, but I'm, I want to say within the first weeks. I mean, now it feels, you know, you guys know, you know, the fog of early grief is something. I feel like days and weeks and months passed and I didn't even understand, you know, what day it was. But the grief, the dreams that started in the beginning were exactly the same every time. It was really eerie. So I would go to sleep and I would be somewhere. And, and by the way, it might be important to note, of course, this was my husband who died. So then I was going back to sleep in the bed that we had shared for our entire relationship and marriage. And so there was something very um, 
beautiful but also painful about being in that same space without him there. So I'm sure that set me up to have some dreams in some ways, in addition to just the grief dreams. And you, of course, are the expert at that. But so the dreams were the same pretty much every time we would be, I would be standing somewhere in my house, in our house, and Eric would walk in. And we would look at each other and smile and cry and hug and say, oh my God, it's just all been a really terrible mistake. And we would hug and laugh even and cry and just be like staring at each other. And then slowly we both would be starting to look at each other and realize, oh, actually it isn't a, it isn't a mistake. You are really dead and this is a dream. And so within my dream, I would have the realization that I was dreaming and that he really was dead. And then I would wake up, actually wake up and realize all over again that he was dead and I had lost him. And it was devastating. Those dreams were so devastating because I'm sure, I, I don't know, I'd love your insight on it, but I was trying to work out this impossible thing that happened that I really lost him and it can't be true, but it really is true. But it meant I was basically having to like lose him. Oh, every time I had that dream, I lost him twice over each time. Yeah, you're not the only one having those types of dreams. And it's interesting because being lucid in that moment changed the dream. You know, like if you just would have had yeah. the dream, oh, it was all a mistake, a hug, you would, you may have, you know, of course, grieved when you woke up, but maybe not as intensely because you had those moments where it was just that positive right. interaction. But because you noticed it was a dream, then all of a sudden you had this crushing weight in the dream and that carries forward also as you wake up but yeah it definitely you see that especially in the beginning of the of people's dreams when they're dealing with loss they're trying to figure out first how the person's in the dream but also you get those um aspects where it's reminding you that the death is real and there's probably it must be doing some sort of grief work you know because you're thinking about your 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 brain's doing and working through your loss while it's sleeping and so these moments, I'm guessing, is trying to help you process the reality of it all. Right. It all seems so impossible. You know, now with this, and I, I'd love to tell you about some of my other dreams because they transformed over the course of the last eight years and become much more pleasant. I look forward to them. I wish I had more of them. But I think that work that I was doing that you were talking about exactly, which was like something, you know, it was so incomprehensible what happened. Even though I was there, I was physically with him when he took his last breath. But I think when something like so incomprehensible happens, our brain is just like trying to work it out and trying to like crack open whatever shell it can in your brain to be like, no, this really did happen. This isn't a mistake. And it seems like that's what the cycle of my dream was, was like just an effort to keep kind of chipping away at helping me somehow, my psyche, my consciousness, my subconsciousness to understand that, no, he's really gone. Yeah. So what was your other dreams that came afterwards? So those happened off and on. And I can, I'm trying to remember when I had the last one of those. That, I haven't had that particular dream in a long time, thankfully. Um, but then, some, some, then they started to vary a little bit more and definitely got less frequent. But then I started to have, I had a dream. I think I wrote about this on Reimagined Grief a couple months ago. It might have even been the, one of the posts that you, that allowed us to meet each other. Um, was we came, he we were also again in a I think in a house I don't know if it was that house but we were together indoors and we saw each other and he looked 
and I've changed a lot my looks over the last eight years, but he still looked, you know, the Eric that he was, and I looked some semblance of what I looked like back then. And he knew that he was dead. No, excuse me. I knew he was dead, but I was so happy to see him. And I was um, talking with him and we were um, like, we were watching something amazing out the window, like, I don't know, scattered shower, you know, like shooting stars or something. And I just said to him, oh my God, I want to remember this moment so much. I, I just like, I was feeling, I was have joyful in the dream. I was like with Eric, we were watching this most amazing thing happen. It was like incredible. And I just remember saying out loud to him, like, I really want to remember this moment because I knew he was dead and this was a dream, but I still felt so good and I felt good in his presence. And I, I was like, oh, I just really want to remember this moment. And he's like, you will, you'll remember it. And I was like, he's like, don't worry, I'll help you remember. Because Eric, by the way, was always our memory keeper. He was the one who had a great memory for everything. And I don't. And then I realized in my dream, he didn't know he was dead. And then in my dream, I had to tell him, babe, you can't remind me because you're gone. And then I woke up. And it was differently devastating than the other one. There, but, but there was that moment of joy and I could be with him in my dream, even though I knew he was dead, but it was okay. But then there was sort of the heartbreak of having to tell him that he was gone. And I had kind of varying versions of that dream for a while. And then my most recent dreams are my absolute favorite and I wish I would have them more. I'm going to ask you later for tips on if we can actually channel, bring these dreams to us. Um, is, and these have happened honestly when I've had kind of some difficult like relationship issues in my life currently or whatever over the last couple of years. Um, and we show up again. I don't know why we're always indoors, but anyhow, indoors and we're sitting on a couch and we're talking to each other and he knows he's dead and I know he's dead and we're in no rush to go anywhere and we are just sitting and having a conversation about life. And I can feel his presence and we're hugging each other and like sitting on a couch and hugging and talking. And he's saying, you can stay here as long as you want. And I feel very much like his presence is real and that I can stay there as long as I want. And it doesn't feel like I'm escaping my life. It just feels like, I don't know, like it's this safe, welcome space that I get to come to. And we get to stare at each other. And I got to tell him I love him so much. And he got to tell me he loves me so much. And I could feel it in my dream. And when I woke up, I could still feel it. And it was just this place that I could go to. And there was no friction or no tension or no, like the rug being pulled out from under me. We were just, it was a place we could visit with each other. And I've had that a couple of times and it's amazing. Thank you, Lisa, for sharing. So next on our podcast is 146, episode 146 with Rebecca McDonald, and she's a repeat guest, so she came back on again to talk about another dream she had of her grandfather, and she is a memorial jewelry artist. It was 10 days before Christmas. I had my second visit from him. Um, he didn't look like himself. He looked really sick, um, like he did whenever he had Alzheimer's. I was sitting next to him outside on a bench. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was some kind of public space because I could hear like other people in the background, like just that noise. Um, and I was holding a kid's picture book and I remember pointing at a picture of a bird and saying bird slowly to him. 
trying to get him to repeat the word that I just said. He couldn't say the word because uh, he couldn't remember it, even though I had just said it. I tried again and the same thing happened. And then he started to get really frustrated because he couldn't remember the word that I said and seeing him so frustrated really broke me. And um, that's the only part that I remember of the dream. But whenever I woke up, I woke up like pretty soon after he started expressing all of this frustration and I felt so, so, so sad. I never, like I didn't see him when he was going through Alzheimer's because we had immigrated. And but I felt like I had actually experienced him through his Alzheimer's through this dream. And um, yeah, it just, I didn't like experiencing him suffering like that. Yeah, so that was the lead up to the holidays that I had the dream and I was feeling really rushed and I started to feel frustrated myself. So I think that was him, his frustration coming out in the dream. And before that dream had happened, I kept telling myself that I needed to slow down and have patience. And even after the dream, I kept telling myself that, but I didn't listen to my body. And a few days after the dream, I actually pushed myself too far and I ended up um, pinching a nerve in my back. And then the rest of my two week vacation over the holidays, uh, I couldn't move. So I feel like now looking back on it, he was telling me like, you're gonna get frustrated and frustrated if you don't slow down and stop. You're gonna hurt yourself. And then you're gonna be frustrated because you hurt yourself. So you just need to relax and um, slow down and take time to yourself. So I think that that dream was definitely a lesson in patience. Thank you, Rebecca, for coming on the podcast again. Really appreciate it. Next, we have with us Dr. Virginia Morisco, and she appears on episode 157. She is a chiropractic physician. And it, yeah, it was a pleasure listening to this one. I'm actually not on this episode, but Dr. Black and Jade Carling Black are on this one, and it's a really great listen. So check it out. She talks about the uh, grief process of uh, losing your dog. By following you, Josh, I I wanted a grief dream so bad. I was obsessed with, you know, when is he going to come and visit me? When is he going to, um, I need to know that he's okay. And a few weeks after he passed, I got a call from a girlfriend and something unexpected happened and she had to put her dog down. And she, you know, called me just devastated and I had just gone through it. And I had decided to make her a blanket with her dog's photo on it. And so, you know, I wrapped it up, gave it to her. And she texted me the next day after she got it. She was obviously very grateful. Um, and the next day she said, I dreamt of him last night. And I was so jealous. <laughs> I was, I was like, what? And I said to my husband, I was like, why hasn't, why haven't Bruiser you know, why hasn't Bruiser contacted me? What is, you know, I, I just, I need to know that he's okay over there. I need to know that everything is fine. I need to know that. And my husband started looking at, you know, would, would try and convince me, well, what about this dog? What about that? The, why don't we, you know, consider, cause we've always had two dogs. So it, it just feels kind of empty without, with just the one. And I would snap at him and I would say, you know, uh, Bruiser hasn't even, come to me in a dream yet. We are not getting another dog. I don't even know if I can get another dog. I don't think I can. 
And um, I, I said, it's going to be six months, at least a year until I can consider getting another dog. And and so he he kind of knew, my husband knew, he knows me so well. He knows not to push it. He knows to just kind of tiptoe around it. And, um, you know, I'd look at these dogs that he was showing me and, and they were adorable, of course. And, and but I just, just like, uh, they don't really, <laughs> they don't really, they don't do it for me. They don't seem right. They don't, uh, you know. Yeah. It, it was right at the beginning of this pandemic that um, I, I had a, I very rarely suffer from migraines. It's just not a regular thing for me, but I had a severe migraine that day. And so I was in bed all day and my, we were kind of watching the news at the time to see how the shutdowns were evolving and, and the stay at home orders were starting to come out. And it was toward the end of the night. And I was like, well, let me Google Orlando uh, COVID-19. And the first article that popped up was how owners are dumping their dogs basically at shelters. They're, they're over capacity because they're afraid that, you know, their animals are going to be carriers of this. They don't know, or they can't afford, they just lost their job. They can't afford to keep them. And I was like, Oh no, this is just, this is awful. So I, I was reading this article and it said, you know, um, if you're interested, you know, click here. And it took me to a page at the Humane Society. And, and it was a Humane Society of North Central Florida. So it's quite a ways away from me. It's not like it's, you know, 30 minutes. And I was like, well, I'll just look. I said, I don't want to, in my head, I'm having this conversation. I don't want another Chihuahua. I'm not getting another Chihuahua. I've learned my lesson. It's fine. No more Chihuahuas. But if there was a wiener dog, a little Dosh Hound, I would completely, if there's a Dosh Hound, maybe send me a Dosh Hound and then I'll, I'll consider it, right? And it's funny because earlier that day, I had looked at Bruiser's bed in, in our bedroom and I just, I said to my husband, I would do anything if I could just spend one more day with two-year-old bruiser where he was young and healthy and, you know, he was so much fun. And so I'm, I'm searching through the Humane Society's website and I'm looking through all the dogs and I'm like, no, no, this doesn't, mm-mm, no. And the very last dog on the very last page looks exactly like bruiser. Like the markings are remarkable. And I just stopped and he was half Chihuahua, half Dashhound. And I just picked up my computer and I went to my husband in the office and I was crying and I was like, I, this is, this might be my dog. And he, he was like, what? And I was like, no, we can't get another dog right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. This is, you know, you, you, like you had said, like the older you get, things need to be more methodical. Things need to be more sensible. Like this is not the right time to be getting a dog. Right. <laughs> and, um, so I shut my computer down and then I, I read the dog's story and, and he was, he was dumped on the side of the road with, with a 
with a pack of other dogs and he was about two years old. Exactly what I had asked for, the the age that I asked for to spend more time with him and to spend more time with Bruiser, my, my other dog. And, um, and I shut my computer and I just was like, you know, no, this is not the right time. This is not the right time. And hours later, I was like, okay, I'm just going to fill out the form. <laughs> if the if the dog is available, maybe I'll go meet it. And I filled out the form and it's, it's bizarre because I woke up the next morning and I was like, I said to my husband, why hasn't the Humane Society called me? And he was like, you need to calm down. We're like, they're probably shut down there in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm like, well, th- this might be my dog. Like I need, I need them to call me. And so I kept calling them and I actually got someone on the line and he's like, yeah. Oh yeah. Th- that dog. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's in a foster home. He's in foster care. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, and he's like, would you be available like tomorrow at one? Because ironically the foster parent is going to bring another dog that they're fostering up. And I was like, yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll drive down and meet the dog. And so I drove three hours to Gainesville and it was the first day of the stay at home order when they locked us down. You know, I brought my mask and, you know, have my Clorox wipes and my mask and I drive to Gainesville and before I could even meet the dog, I just turned to the foster mom and I was like, where do I pay? And he was my dog. And it's bizarre because it was one of those moments, one of those intuition moments, one of those gut feelings, one of those things that we were talking about before where it's like, if you're open to listening to a sign, if you're open to listening to whatever the universe is, is, is sending you at the moment and stop thinking with your sensible brain, then some things can go open up for you that are just really remarkable. So, um, long story short, I ended up adopting the dog, drove home with him that day. Um, we named him Wally after the Disney character and, um, and now he's our dog. And that dog, that night, we went for a long walk with both of our dogs and our son, and we go for a walk every night. And I, there was a, an overwhelmingly set, like I had a feeling, did I make the wrong decision? Like Jade, like you'd said, like, am I, am I making the right decision? Did I make the wrong decision? Is it, it what if, you know, this isn't the right time. We don't know what's going to happen with work and we don't know what's going to happen with how long are we going to stay home? And, and my husband was like, you just need to calm down. And I was like, well, well, I need a sign. I need some sort of a sign. And that night I dreamt of Bruiser, my, my little dog had died. And the dream was Bruiser was in my right hand and they're like identical dogs, by the way. Bruiser was in my right hand and Wally was in my left hand. And I was walking around like, this is how it should be. These are my dogs. So I woke up and I knew that this new dog, basically Bruiser sent me another little dog to watch over me. I, there's no doubt in my mind that the way that this unfolded is how it was meant to be. And because he couldn't be here to watch over me, he had to send another little, my husband actually jokes. He's like, 
Bruiser was such a narcissist that of course he sent another dog that looks exactly <laughs> like him to watch over you. So, so yeah, it took, I couldn't dream of him until I got the new dog. Thank you, Virginia, for sharing. Next on our podcast, we have Chelsea Rushton from episode 158. She's a technical writer and an artist, and here she talks about a dream she had, or a couple dreams she had of her mom. In the earliest days after her death, the dreams would always be of me seeing my mom in perfect health, radiant happiness, and I could see her, but she couldn't see me. And I would be like trying to connect with her, but there would be like the glass wall or like a bubble or something. And she just like wouldn't know that I was there, but I was able to see her like returned to, I kind of want to say like a perfected state, like just my mom at her best, which of course was very sad for me to process in the moment. Like I would wake up and like, I would have such a strong image of my like perfect, beautiful, happy mom and then have to come to the re-realization over again that she was dead. But mostly, like even though there's sadness there, it was it was really nice to just be greeted by those images of her. Like I really felt like those dreams were being delivered from her to me so that she could just reassure me like, hey, I'm okay, I'm okay now. I haven't dreamed about her very much lately. The last dream that I had about her is the one that's clearest in my memory. And well, actually, I don't think this was the last dream I had about her, but the last dream that was like about about her that I would consider a grief dream and not just like a dream about something else in which she is a minor figure was in the summer of this past year. And uh, the dream was that I, I was in her house, which in real life is now a rental property that my sister and I manage. And even though it was my mom's house in the dream, it was also our then current tenant's house. So I was in my tenant's house, but it was still my mom's house. And I went up the stairs to the master bedroom, which was my mom's bedroom. And I entered the bedroom and all the furniture was in the same configuration that it was when my mom was alive. It was all her furniture. And she was sitting at the chair at her desk, which was her main chair. And I sat down at a smaller chair next to her. And um, we looked at each other. Look, we were having very firm eye contact in the dream, which is something that I don't experience very often in dreams. And she looked into my eyes and she said, Chels, I have lung cancer. And that was the end of the dream. And um, I was working with a family constellation therapist at that time and told the told the therapist about that dream and you know we did some we did some work with that afterwards but it was it was very profound for me because it was like my mom I believe like uh, what do I want to say I think that when we release ourselves from our physical form I believe in reincarnation but I also believe somehow that at some level each person who has ever lived can still live and communicate with us at like an energetic level or an astral level or something. Um, I don't have a scientific explanation for that but it felt to me like my mom was reaching back and, and just like trying to correct her lack of communication around her illness because if she too had been more straightforward about the information she had been receiving 
my sister and I would have been able to see her in time. So it was both my mom's responsibility and my dad's that we weren't able to see her before she died. So that was that was such a special dream for me because we got to we got to connect, we got to acknowledge each other in that dream, and it was also like she was actively making something right that hadn't previously been right. And um, wow. when I look when I look back on on all of those dreams, it was like it was like they were all there for me as like little helper tools to just like just help me know that she was that she was on the other side. Thank you, Chelsea, for sharing with us. We really appreciate it. Next, we have with us erica buist and she appears on episode 159 and what's interesting about her was uh again while the whole interview was interesting we also got to talk about the seven death festivals that she visited and eventually wrote a book about check it out after uh day of the dead in mexico was gaijatra in in nepal which is where um every year there's a procession of people who have lost somebody that year um, so the idea is essentially you just look out and all you see is just an ocean of people who have gone through the same thing as you, which is uh, a really good way of, of, you know, realizing that you're not alone in your grief because that's one of the biggest lies grief tells you. Um, after that, I went to uh, Sicily for uh, the Festa dei Morti, again, the, the Day of the Dead, which is the only death festival I was able to find in Europe. Um, and that is where uh, Sicilian children wake up on the Day of the Dead, and kind of like how Santa Claus has left you presents. It's the same deal, except instead of Santa Claus, it's your dead relatives. And instead of just leaving you presents, they've hidden them around the house. So Sicilian kids grow up thinking of their dead and associating them with a treasure hunt and a massive sugar rush as well, because there's a lot of sugar involved. Um, and so I was just so jealous when, you know, thinking about my my youth where every time someone, you mentioned someone who died, you had to go silent and look at the floor. And I was like, you got a treasure hunt? Oh my God. <laughs> so um, <laughs> after that, so there's a Chinese death festival called Qingming, which is uh, where people will go. It's called Tomb Sweeping Day, basically. They will go and like sweep the, you know, clean the tombs and then sort of go out and enjoy life. I actually didn't go to China for that. I went to Thailand because my father is married to a woman who is half Thai, half Chinese, and they celebrate this every year. So that was kind of nice. I got to go and uh, celebrate that one with family. Um, and then after Thailand was uh, Japan. Um, which is uh, a festival called Obon, which is a little bit like Day of the Dead in that they believe that the, the spirits come back to visit, but they're there for a whole week. And um, in Kyoto, they actually have this amazing goodbye ceremony for them. Kyoto is surrounded by mountains on three sides, and they, they light these enormous bonfires for them because they think that that is how the, the spirits will sort of hitch a ride back to heaven. And um, that was uh, that was incredible and very emotional, actually. Um, and then I went to uh, Madagascar, which is where every every five to seven years families will get together and they will actually dig up their dead relatives from the family tomb, and then they'll wrap them in a fresh shroud, and then lift them up on their shoulders and dance around with them. 
And uh, that's when I got hit in the head by a corpse. <laughs> 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 I just felt this knock in the back of my head and just turned around and they were like, oh, sorry. And I thought, of course I got hit in the head by a corpse. But at some point, uh, that was always going to happen, I guess. Um, I didn't even check if I was kicked or headbutted. Um, and the final death festival also involved corpses, but this was even stronger because they weren't wrapped in a shroud. This was in Tana Taraja, which is an area of Indonesia, a very remote area. And they will exhume their relatives from the tomb um, and they will dress them in new clothes and give them, you know, they'll give them new jewelry. They take lots of pictures with them. Then they'll walk them around the village. Uh, they will FaceTime relatives who couldn't make it. And essentially just, it's called manene, which basically means hanging out with grandma. So I got to meet quite a lot of, of dead people. And one of the most astonishing things about that is how quickly it becomes ordinary to just be hanging out with some dead people. And um, probably the most incredible moment of that for me, I, I was just sort of filming. Everyone's filming, everyone's taking pictures. It's a big part of the festival. And I clicked, I, I sort of hit record on this video of this woman sitting next to her grandmother who'd been dead for four years. And she just sort of looked at her and noticed something on her hair and she just sort of brushed the dust out of her hair. And it was this incredible moment of, of love um, that I was not expecting to see. And I shared it on Twitter with some trepidation, slightly worried what people would say. And the outpouring of love was just unbelievable. People said, this is so beautiful. I wish I could see my grandmother again. And I was not expecting that in the West to get people calling um, a corpse and someone's obvious love for it. Um, beautiful. Thank you, Erica, for coming on the podcast. It was interesting to learn about all those different death festivals around the world. All right, next on the podcast, we have episode 160, John Deesh, and he's an author and worked in uh, different movies and TV shows that focus on fly fishing. And so here he talks about a dream he wants to have of his brother. And so I think that the dream that I would like to have would be to be with my brothers at that pond. You know, fishing maybe fishing without a hook, you know, and not even being distracted by what we're, just to be together. And it's that human connection and being in the moment. And it's a, it's a tricky business because when we're, when we focus on the past, like I have done a, you know, a memoir, memoir-esque kind of writing, you know, we take the risk of getting stuck there. And really the work is to do something like this so that I can become more present. And anybody else who's doing this kind of work can become more present because my brothers, and that was part of, you know, the last, the last story of my book is called the angel with a perfect heart. And it, my brother did have a perfect heart and he had a perfect life because it was his life. And, uh, you know, we can rewrite these things. And I think the dreams in some ways are a process towards that. Thank you, John, for coming on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate that episode. It was really cool to hear about fly fishing. It's something I didn't know much about before. So next we have with us Gary Allen Shockley, and he is a author and grief counselor, and he appears on episode 161. And it's such a cool episode and really interesting clip that we have here. He talks about a grief dream that he's had that actually brought him a lot of closure uh, revolving around uh, the miscarriage uh, his wife experienced and he experienced ultimately of his daughter. Check it out. I got one more dream for you, you have time. Of course. <laughs> well, just checking. This was really powerful and I, and I thought about it too. See, I was preparing for this and I went, wow, man, I, 
it made me do a trip down memory lane, but um, our first pregnancy, my wife's first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage and it was, it was painful because we, we struggled to get pregnant and we, and we did. And like a lot of folks, you know, you'd, you start painting the room and you start telling everybody about it and you start celebrating about the fourth month she miscarried and we drove home from the doctor and it was, it was terrible. It's just a terrible, terrible experience. And my focus was on my wife and making sure that she was okay. And she's, she's very strong. She's able to work through almost anything and put up with me in, in the process. I never really processed what that meant to me. And about a year after this miscarriage, I had a dream where I was in a cemetery and I was pastoring a church at the time. And on the ground in front of me was a white casket about three feet long. You know, the casket shaped like the old timey Western kind of casket. Um, and I remember um, opening the lid and in the casket in white satin was a little girl, a baby girl, um, very fair skinned, reddish blonde hair. And I knew in that dream that was my daughter. And I closed the, I closed the lid and I dug the hole in my dream and I buried this child and, and just stood there at the grave. Um, and, and the dream was over and it was a turning point for me. I woke up in tears and of course the whole, that whole day just carried this around, but it, un, it uncorked, um, something in me that allowed me finally to begin to grieve and to process the grief that I've been carrying and had not expressed in one form or another. Um, and that image, gosh, is just uh, indelibly marked on, on my mind of that child. Um, that was just so powerful and so healing for me. Thank you, Gary, for coming on the podcast and sharing. It was a really touching episode, especially that clip. It really showcases the power that these dreams can have to highlighting some of the grief that maybe we haven't explored before and to help us work through some of that. So next, we have episode 162 with Alexa Norton, and she talks about a dream she has of her father. Yeah, I feel so lucky, too, to have so many dreams. And I have um, weird dreams that he's just like randomly there where I'm like that's weird but then I have some very significant dreams right like some dreams where I'm like that was kind of silly where he just like showed up but then dreams that you know I'll wake up in the morning and I'll hurry and write it down or write it in a message so I don't forget so it's as fresh as it can be um so I've created like my own little dad dream journal where that's where I write all of his the the dreams that I have about him that's so cool. I like that. And were you interested in dreams prior or no? Um, a little. Definitely not as much as I am now because I I have noticed they're more significant now. But I would also say my husband, he's a big dreamer. Like he he talks about lucid dreaming and making sure that we can, we can be aware when we're dreaming and realize that we're dreaming. So that's really helped me too to be a, a better dreamer, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and you have someone that supports it, so it doesn't like push it to the side yeah. or say you're crazy or or you know when you have someone that supports what you do or in any anything, 
you end yeah. up talking about it more and doing about it more. And I think it's it's great that you're having, you know, some of these dreams and some are different than others. Have you seen that change over time or are they still, you get these significant ones and you also get these random ones? Um, it's, it, yeah, I've definitely seen it change over time. I feel like the first couple, maybe the first year they were very, uh, meaningful and significant and yeah maybe deep i don't know how to explain it and then here and there i'll just get you know like kind of random dreams but then there will be like every couple of times there'll be a dream where it is more impactful and it's interesting to see because sometimes i have a dream about him where i know he's he's gone so i'm just experiencing him for a little bit if that makes sense and other times I'll have this dream. So I have these like two reoccurring dreams, like that situation where I know he's not here, but I have this moment with him. And then the other one where I know he's going to die. So I have to like cherish this moment with him in the dream. Oh, wow. That's really interesting that you continue to have yeah. those two themes. Like even being aware yeah. that the individual is dead or said like you don't, both of them, it's really the same theme. You don't have like time, right? Like it's going to be yeah. short. I do remember like one specific dream where I came to in my dream and I realized, oh, I'm dreaming. I should ask him, like, where did he go? What's it like? Does he know that? Like, does he miss us? Like, we miss him. So I was trying to ask him all these questions. And I remember I told him, like, yeah, you've been gone for two years, which is a lot of time in my life. You know, like, that's a big amount of chunk of time. And he, I remember he said back to me in my dream, oh, that's like, really? It's been that long? Like he was shocked in my dream. Like, really? Wow. It's no, no time at all. Thank you, Alexa, for sharing with us. Next, we have from episode 163, Jane Edberg, and she is an author and blogger. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, this episode. Uh, some really uh, visual artistic expression uh, from Jane. Uh, so yeah, check it out. So I had a dream that was very, I call it a not not a dream because it was so phenomenally um, real that it was almost more real than life itself. It was a very strange experience. But the, the gist of it is that in the dream, I was in, I came to a house and I knew it was his house in some respects, but it wasn't perfectly sure. And everything was very white. The house was painted white. I went inside, all the walls were white, furniture's white. Everything was very white. And it was really sort of a pleasant experience. It was a, sort of like this calm place, even though I had a feeling that he might be around. And at some point, he came into a room I was standing in. And that's when it got very real. And I felt like I would, had been like transported from the dream into real life. And I said, you're dead. And he said, y yeah. And, he, and then he walked up to me and he goes, but you could still touch me. And I, and I did. And it was like, well, that's weird. And then I felt the cl his clothing. And I was in this state of like, this is all real. And it's not making any sense, but it, but it is because it's real. This is real right now. And I get to just be real with him right now. And something about having had that dream um, set me straight about having a, an inclination that 
he might be in everything and he might be it's not that he's totally gone that I know his body's gone I know that you know whoever you are the soul the spirit that somehow I don't have a connection to that I'm I haven't done a seance, but I don't, you know, I've done other things. I, I haven't connected to that. But that in that dream, having that one moment to touch was uh, grounded me in just the molecular uh, mystery of this world. Like, that was strange. So I don't really know what's happened. I know that he's not here in the world that I, that I reside in, in my waking state. But he's residing somewhere in some other wakeful state that I was able to tap into. And, and that happened a few more times. And I think it had something to do with, you know, we get so attached to the physical body and the physical presence, of course, that's life. And on some spiritual level, I think it allowed me to not be so attached. That's, that's the best I can, I can say about it. Thank you, Jane, for coming on the podcast and sharing. Next, we have episode 164, Philip Goldberg, and he's an author of over 25 books. And one of the books he did write about was on Yogananda. So if you're interested in that, that's a good episode to check out. And so in this clip that comes up, he talks about a couple of grief dreams of his father. Uh, I remember in my uh, mid-20s, maybe, I had one of those dreams where oh, look, mom's home, and <laughs> and everybody greets her and say, where you been? And at one point, she says something about the woman I was dating that indicated, mm, not the good best match for you, son. And it was like, <laughs> and that she turned out to be quite correct. <laughs> So you did you, you so you waited long enough to make sure you didn't jump on the gun and just no I didn't up. I didn't uh, immediately wake up and get on the phone and uh, dump the girlfriend. But, yeah, he he proceeded with caution, I guess. I proceeded with caution for whatever I don't know how much more time, but it, it just it was it became obvious, and yeah, I was uh, yeah, there was, was a part of me that said, "Well, thanks, mom. You you just made this a lot easier." <laughs> that's right and then when they ask you say my mom told me so <laughs> that's right yeah I, it's a, yeah I, I couldn't go against my family <laughs> that's funny do you have any more really memorable dreams from anyone who has passed you said you had a, a lot of dreams from really um, not just your mother but through your father and, and friends yeah there have been those I, I, I'm, I've never uh um, for, for whatever reason, uh, my dreams don't tend to be uh, vivid every night or memorable. Uh, but there have been over the years, in addition to that kind of dream, my, my, after my dad died, I was already, you know, old, well, much older than my mother was when she died by the time my father died. You know, I was in my late 50s or something. And uh, so he lived, uh, you know, a normal lifespan. He didn't die young like my mother did. So the, the element of tragedy and, uh, you know, untimely loss was not there. But, of course, he was my dad. And, you know, we had a whole history and, and a, 
a big part of my history with my father in my early years was around sports, especially baseball. And so I've had dreams where we would baseball on the baseball field. I've had you know, teammates. I had dreams where we were opponents. When <laughs> I was pitching against him, as he was the batter, you know. And I had I had one memorable dream where uh, I was called uh, up uh, from the dugout to pinch hit for my dad, and that uh, that that led to a lot of introspection. <laughs> uh, so there there have been things like that, and I've I've had dreams uh, where friends who died, you know, at relatively young ages, tragically, uh, would show up. Uh, and we have a nice reunion in our in my dream. All right. Wow. I can't believe that the first part of our recap is done. You know, it's been a cool hour and twenty minutes or so. But uh, you know, it's 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 always a pleasure to do these. It's always a pleasure to look back at the, some of the guests that we've had. And again, I we I just really enjoy doing them. And it's just such a joy to look back at all the episodes that we've done and really, really, uh, again, recap some, uh, especially from last year. Last year's been obviously uh, um, a a tough year for many of us. It's been, uh, you know, a a testament to to our fortitude, if if you call it that. But it's been it's been difficult. And again, I just want to say thank you to all the listeners for tuning in and listening to us and i really i really do hope that it's uh, the our show our podcast has brought you some sort of reprieve some sort of moment uh where you're not thinking about the pandemic and not thinking about uh the world uh you know what what the chaos is happening in the world and hopefully you know again you gain some insights and, and learn something and, and just enjoyed it in general and uh yeah those are my general thoughts about the year. How, how about you, Joshua? How do you feel? <laughs> yeah, it's great, actually, listening to these episodes. And it brings me back to, you know, like where I was and also remind me how impactful these dreams or these interviews were. And I'm just so grateful people come on and, and share their time with us. It's just remarkable about what, what people have uh, within their lives. And you sometimes just need like a podcast to actually get it out of people because as if i walked up to a stranger and asked them about this stuff they may think i'm weird but to come on the podcast people are so openly and, and freeing about sharing these beautiful moments that they've had or some of the struggles and how they got through them so sean yeah this is great i'm looking forward to part two yeah you said it uh shout out to all the guests that we've had and all the people who have shared their stories and again we whether you're on this podcast or not, we we hope and encourage you to share your story with someone that you trust, that you care about, and hopefully, uh, you know, you can have that uh, the same thing we get to have each interview. So again, uh, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. Uh, we have some online courses provided by Dr. Black on the website. So definitely check those out. If you'd like to contribute to the podcast, we'd greatly appreciate that. Help support us. If you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams group. You can share your dreams or hear more dreams of others. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Grief Dreams. And as always, love to say with love and gratitude from us to you. 
pronunciation in English. And questions? I have introduced myself. You have introduced yourself. This is a very good conversation.